Every week, Denver Zone Real Nerds Podcast sees a new movie. We podcast our experience to the world. I think sometimes we're funny. Yeah, sometimes when I'm talking, not when you're talking, not when you're talking. Oh, you know, it might help if you told them that we're on iTunes or on Stitcher so they could find a place where you can actually listen to us. Oh, okay, Brad. We're also on Twitter, at Real Nerds, and we have an Instagram account. Boom. Commercial, Brad. Cut. Paste. Upload. We like to have fun. Sure. I like fun. James, you're very bad at improv. RealNerdsPodcast.com. The John of All Trades Podcast is a part of the Denver Podcast Network. In the shadow of the mountains, we, we speak. speak. Start the show! You have all made it to the dance. You have all made it, made it, Coming to you from the X-Access, it's John of All Trades with your host, John X. Welcome, welcome, welcome to the John of All Trades podcast, episode 195. I'm your host, John X. Thank you for joining us. Glad to have you back once again. And it's Denver Film Festival time, baby. That's right. It's my fourth year at the Denver Film Fest, and I am stoked about it. I got a great slate of shows on the horizon. I'm actively booking guests right now, so you can expect the content to come fast and furious in the next couple of weeks. We are rapidly approaching episode 200. I hope to have a really big show for you there, but we kick it off this week. And what better way to kick it off than with an interview I was supposed to do last year? I've got Britta Erickson. She is festival director for the Denver Film Fest and has been doing that for the last 11 years. She's the one who makes this engine go. She is working all year to bring you great content in November of each year at Denver Film Festival. And I got to tell you, sitting down with her was a lot of fun. She's a great personality. She loves film. You can tell the enthusiasm she has for doing this. She's been a part of this festival for 20 years. So we talk about the difference between when she started versus now how they're reaching out to people, how they're expanding their offerings, how they're doing experiential types of things, immersive experiences. It's really, really cool, and it's really fun. We also travel back in time and find out how she got started. She was originally a broadcast journalism major. What made her sort of go away from that vocation and get more into art? So we talk journey here. We also talk shop. We talk film. We talk a little bit about the 48-hour film project that I wrote called If It Bleeds. There will be a link to that on the John of All Trades blog companion piece that goes with this episode, as well as a link to the Denver Film Festival. You can see the entire lineup of shows. There's something for everyone there. So get out there. Experience some art. This is the premier film festival of the year, and there's lots and lots of great stuff. I'm going to be bringing you a bunch of it during this year's fest. Couple of notes about that. You can find all the interviews that I do at DFF 41 under a tab that I have on the main menu bar. So I've got the previous years. I've done somewhere between three and five episodes every single year with people like Kyle Gass from Tenacious D, Jim O'Hare, who you probably remember from Parks and Recreation, Zoe Bell, who's part of the Tarantino universe, as well as some lesser known stuff. I mean, I talked to Andrew Novick, who was an awesome documentarian, John Bonet's Tricycle. I talked to Jeremy Stuhlberg, who did Growing Up Coy about the transgendered girl in Colorado Springs. I talked to Jeff Grace, the director of Folk Hero and Funny Guy. Lalo Molina and Greg Barbanel, who I talk about quite a bit in this episode. They did Actors of Sound, that great documentary about Foley artists. So like I said, amazing content coming out of DFF 
And there's going to be a ton coming up. So stay tuned to johnofalltrades.us. Get on iTunes. Get on Stitcher. Make sure you get a subscription and new episodes will come to you because typically I drop new episodes on Wednesday. Frequently during the Denver Film Fest, you'll get more than one in a week. So stay tuned for that. Also, quick shout to my film brothers in the Denver Podcast Network, The Real Nerds. Man, those guys have been going strong forever now. Be sure to check out their podcast. They're doing a movie every single week of the year, and they've done that for the last six plus years. They're funny. They're insightful. Their show is highly enjoyable. So check them out on the Denver Podcast Network, denverpodcast.net. You heard an ad for their show at the top of this show, and do yourself a favor and get tuned into them. Now, Let's get to episode 195 of the John of All Trades podcast. It's Britta Erickson. This is my favorite time of year. She is the director of the Denver Film Festival. She's been doing it for the last 20 years, and her episode starts right now. It seems to be media day. Yeah, that'll happen. Well, it's Wednesdays, and uh, or it's a Wednesday that we're recording this, and Wednesday before the Super Bowl is always media day. Oh, is it? So, yeah, which is, I don't know. I don't know why it is, but yeah, it's uh, usually like on the on the field, and all the reporters are there, and all the players are there, and it's just a whole media scrum. So yeah, just make the circuit, right? Yeah. I heard the Broncos lost their quarterback today. Uh, their backup quarterback. Oh, the backup yeah. quarterback. Yeah, evidently I'm he... a native that's not a Broncos fan. <laughs> I I think that's fair. Um, And this year, that's not all that difficult to do. But uh, yeah, so we were supposed to do this last year, which was my third year doing Denver Film Festival. And I got too sick um, because it was like the last day. I know working with Neil quite a bit that he ends up like, I mean, he's working like 18, 20 hours a day, as you all are, right? Yeah, it's a, it's pretty much twenty four seven is what I tell my staff. Do you for those twelve days? How do you maintain health during that? Uh, a lot of emergency. Okay. Because cold, cold like, snaps good too. <laughs> what is cold snap? I don't know that one. Cold snaps like this little tablet that's you know chock full of some magic stuff <laughs> that keeps you from getting the cold or snaps the cold if you feel you're supposed to take four of them the first time you sneeze. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> take four of them the first time you sneeze. Uh, interesting diagnosis. Um, are you, do you find you're able to maintain health during the fest? Have you gotten yeah. better at it as time gone on, gone on? Well, you know, and I've been with the festival for 20 years and I started yeah. in Neil's job as a uh, director of publicity. So yeah, I'm better at pacing myself now, okay. but that's also cause I'm older and <laughs> <laughs> I don't need to be at every event or reception. I have to be at the, you know, the necessary things I need to be at. Sure. So I, I think that's always my kind of thing that I tell the staff uh, at staff meetings is like there's a lot happening and if this yeah. is your first time doing the festival I want you to you know get your job done and also enjoy the experience sure. of being part of this event but really pace yourself yeah but it's filmmakers I have to more remind it's like drink water <laughs> oh yeah because they're at altitude too yeah. right yeah um, yeah any weird incidents like that I mean there's um, got to be something oh yeah year. no I had a Bobby Cannavale. Oh, man, that guy's a force of nature on screen. Yeah, he's great. Um, it was when I was still a publicist, and uh, he was here. And it was the opening night pre-reception. And I was like, you're going to want to just, like, drink some water. You're at altitude. And all of a sudden, he was, like, hugging on me. And I was like, what's going on? And I was like, oh, he's not hugging me. Oh, is he out? He's, like, going to drop to the Oh, jeez. <laughs> Um, yeah, people underestimate that uh, what fifty two eighty will 
do to you. Yeah, uh, most definitely. Although when I go down to sea level, I find I can run and I can drink like a champ. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's amazing. Like I, I can't run any faster because I'm already slow and I, I run like a Clydesdale. So it's like clop, 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 clop. That's not changing. Right. <laughs> but I can run a lot farther without getting tired. Same goes for drinking. I'm like, wow, who am I? I just had 10 beers. I'm, I'm like a member of the Rat Pack here. <laughs> it's amazing. So this is Britta Erickson. She is the director of the Denver Film Fest, and you've been in this role now for 11 years? Yes. Wow. Okay. Uh, how big a staff are you managing for something like this? So uh, with all contractors um, that we bring in over the course of you know, starting as early as the beginning of August, some some have longer contracts, uh, but starting next week on Wednesday when some people who have jobs that are just for the 12 days of the festival, we run about 170. Yikes. Wow. Yeah. Um, and we're only a year-round staff of 15 people at okay. the Denver Film Society. Um, so we we grow quite a bit. And <laughs> there's lots of uh, new faces. Yeah, um, sure. And uh, it's always fun to watch all the new contractors come in. And, well, of course, we like to have contractors come back year in, year and year out. Um, and we're pretty lucky with that. I think sure. we um, – you know, pay is not great in the film festival world. But, boy – Wait, so you you're get saying some great art, experiences. You're saying arts jobs don't pay well? <laughs> My word, I've never heard such a thing. There is a big study coming out from the Colorado um, Business Council on the Arts. Uh, I think it comes out on November 1st mm. um, that it hopefully addresses some of that. Although it's a big part of the uh, work sector in Denver. Sure. Culturals make up a very good percentage of employees in this city because mm-hmm. um, it's such a culturally rich city and we're lucky to have so many great arts organizations but yeah yeah nobody's everyone was trying to win the lottery last night i'm sure that works <laughs> in an arts job well sure and even those of us who aren't i mean it's uh it's funny i saw this thing where it's like oh so you're gonna buy a lottery ticket just on the chance that you know your number is called right so why not take a shot and vote too they should make you vote when you buy your lottery ticket. Totally. Yeah, it's like, oh, you want to buy this lottery ticket? Let me check your voter registration, <laughs> not that's, your ID. That's a really good idea. Yeah, I'm kind of Think about that. how many people would have voted yesterday. No kidding, right? <laughs> I think that would have been a big deal. So for 11 years, you've been doing this, and you said you've been with the festival overall for 20. Yeah, um, Diff 41 will be my 20th festival. Okay. What ultimately brought you into wanting to work with the Denver Film Festival? Are you from here? I'm a Denver native. Nice. So yeah. am I. What part of town did you grow up in? Wash Park. And then my parents decided that DPS busing was making me spend less time in the classroom than I should be okay. and more time on the bus. So um, then grew up out in Greenwood Village. Okay. Yeah. What high school did you go to? Um, I went to Kent, Denver, and then graduated from Cherry Creek. Okay, nice. Yeah. So How I'm about from, you? I'm from Golden. Oh, okay. So west side of town, and my wife is actually a native, too. Like, we're a couple of natives, which That's is rare. Incre- increasingly really rare. really rare. And now we have two little natives here. That we had. Yeah, she grew up in Castle Rock, so she's south side, I'm west side. We grew up here long enough to remember when those areas were kind of rural. and now castle rock's like a real hot place and golden is really cool yeah no it's it's golden's a great town everyone tells me that but that used to be like let's go on a trip today to golden (laughs) right yeah let's uh let's get out of the city let's uh let's let's go someplace where it's a little less crowded now wow yeah it's way different 
Well, um, are you a first generation native? Yeah, so my parents are from Chicago. Oh, okay. Because I'm a second generation Oh, native. wow. Okay, yeah. so wow. It's not every day that I talk to someone who's got one up on me there. But the thing is, I don't hold this as some elite status. I don't care. You uh, don't have your um, native not, sticker on you? No, I don't. I don't even see those anymore. Maybe because nobody's a native. <laughs> Maybe they're getting all washed out. Uh, but yeah, so ultimately, you're Denver native. What brought you to this? Um, so, so I did go to school in Texas for undergrad and graduate school and um, studied. Was that SMU? Yeah, I went to SMU. Is that Houston? No, it's Dallas. Oh, that's Dallas. Yeah. That's right. Oh, yeah. Rice is Houston. Yeah. Right. And studied uh, journalism, Okay. broadcast journalism. God love it. Uh, I'm a communications the- major. That's why I know how to hold a microphone. I love it. I, yeah, I'm not going to have to adjust the levels too much in post, which is really, really helpful. Good. Um, and also art history. And then worked in uh, broadcast journalism. I was fortunate right out of college to get a, land a job at a station in Texas where I'd interned. Right. Um, so I was like a way, way junior reporter. Really, I just sat at a desk and listened to police scanners. And it, it was if it, it was a time of day when there was no reporters on every once in a while, they would maybe send me with a camera and a microphone. They wouldn't let me be on right. on the camera, but I could do those interviews that needed to happen at those day parts when there wasn't anyone else around. But that business, the five o'clock news, uh, local news, you know, there's a cat in the tree or there's a five alarm Fire and five people died because they didn't have uh, fire detectors. Mm. Th- those kind of stories um, weren't the kind of stories I I wanted to tell. I wanted to. I think when I thought about journalism, I thought about the good you could do, and rather than creating fear in people, educate people on politics, on culture, on sure. education. And I told my uh, producer at the station where I'd been hired, where I'd interned. I think I want to do these longer format stories and had all these ideas of stories that I wanted to do. And he's like, where is this coming from? And I'm like, yeah, well, I really like covering that mass murder in Waco. That's just that's not my thing. That's just like the questions the lead reporter was asking was uh, were like terrible questions like, oh, your daughter was just shot um, under a cafeteria line in a first cafeteria how are you feeling and she's shaking and i'm like why are you asking that question you've got to have some empathy and know how she's feeling so that was kind of what preempted me having this conversation with the producer who said i don't think you have the balls to be in this business (laughs) the balls (laughs) yes that was literally the words so um i i quickly realized that um i should probably try to figure out how i could be more uh, impactful to culture and things like that. I didn't ended up going back to graduate school at SMU oh, cool. um, right. to get uh, uh, to study art history. It had been my minor, and then I went to graduate school for art history. But I took those two experiences um, in those educations, and um, I'm clearly not an artist myself. Hmm. Um, my father's an artist. He's probably super disappointed that I can't even draw a stick figure. <laughs> but uh, oh, you've got to be able to draw a stick figure. Oh. John, <laughs> I'll show you. I'll show you my drawings here in a moment. I can't wait. You'll be like, is that a stick figure? What is that? Well, maybe it's avant-garde. <laughs> well, it's true. <laughs> exactly. And that's why it came to work for a festival that has so much avant-garde programming and experiential It's a little abstract, but it's all yeah, in there. It's all in there. So I wanted to come back to my hometown, um, Denver, and I was like, oh, perfect. I've got journalism experience. I know how to craft a story. Right. And I've, I've got an eye for art. So 
I'll be a publicist at the Denver Art Museum. And mm. so I came back and interned there and no jobs ever really opened up. And I got tapped by um, some people that I had long known. Mickey Zeppelin, who was a developer, primary okay. developer of uh, one of the primary developers of Lodo. He now has Zeppelin Station and yeah, yeah. The, the Rhino Pioneer. Um, but they also he, he had done a lot of development in the Golden Triangle and he purchased um, Swedish Evangelical Church in the Golden Triangle at uh, 10th and Acoma. Did not know and, such a thing existed. Yeah. And he was looking to change it into an art center to be the art center of the Golden Triangle as he was developing properties and trying to enrich the neighborhood. And he's like, oh, I hear you're looking for a job. Why don't you come figure out how to make this building work as an art center? So I was the founding executive director of Acoma Center, which eventually became Curious Theater Company, which I co-founded oh, cool. with Chip Walton. Um, but while I was trying to figure out what should happen in that Is that building, the one that um, that Evan Weissman is uh, affiliated with? Do you know Evan? I don't know if I know Evan. Evan heads up Warm Cookies of the Revolution. Oh, I, Warm Cookies is such a great organization. Yeah, and I can't remember if it's Curious. And if, well, Karen Slack is part of Warm Revolutions okay. and sh- uh, Warm, warm Cookies. cookies of, yeah. yeah, and she's she's actually married to Mitch Dickman, who's oh, okay, the yeah. director of Rolling Papers that I produced and someone I partner with quite often. I saw that. That was excellent. Oh, thank you. Yeah. Thanks. And I happen to know Jake Brown. He was on this show, too. Oh, so. Jake. We love Jake. Good old Jake. Yeah. And we made Ricardo so famous. Yeah, totally. He's really parlayed that into something <laughs> spectacular. His business is doing really well. Oh, that's great. Yeah, you should interview him. Totally. Yeah. But I also was like, oh, I can buy a 16-millimeter projector, and I can do a film series with the Denver Art Museum, because at the time, the Denver Art Museum did not have a theater of their own, and we were just down the block from them. Right. So I started this film series with the Denver Art Museum, and it was a twice a year. It was a, a spring series and a fall series, and it was six Tuesday nights, respectively, spring and fall, where we'd do, like, noir, or then we'd do westerns, or we'd do art, um, you know, artists on film Cool. Um, those kind of series. And that's how I ended up meeting Ron Henderson, who's the founder of the Denver Film Society and the Denver Film Festival, um, because he started coming to some of those. And in a bind in 1999, he called me and he said, I remember that you have um, journalism background or PR background, something like that. And we just lost our publicist for the festival. Is there any way possible you could come help us out? For two months. Yeah. So I took a two-month contract with the Denver Film Festival, Uh and here I am today. 20 years later. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I find that's usually how these things go. I mean, it's like, yeah, I'll give this a shot. And I mean, it's like dating, right? I mean, my wife and I met, and we did not like each other at first. Got together, started drinking, and it's like, oh, wow, okay, now it's 14 years later. We've been married for nine, and uh, we have two kids. So it's it's weird. It is it is strange. Yeah, you, a lot of life is not intent, right? It's no, it's, it's happenstance. Yeah, and it's I mean, you you develop a relationship in that way. I've I've never had a job for that long. I mean, my longest job I think is four and a half years. So uh, it's it's amazing to hear that kind of longevity. How has the festival changed in your time then? Like in twenty years when you started, versus where you are today. What kinds of changes have you seen? Well, oh, a lot of changes. Um, I think I think the core value and the core thing that we bring to the community is still exactly as it was envisioned when Ron and some others got together 41 years ago to yeah. to bring this festival to the city. 
when I started, we didn't do huge red carpet screenings mm. um, at the Performing Arts Complex. I think maybe in our second year, we used the Buell once. Okay. Um, you know, now we... Yeah, you're at the Ellie Hawkins. Yeah, six times this year. A lot, yeah. yeah my, my staff's pretty happy. They're like, what? <laughs> <laughs> They're like, oh, thanks. This, exactly. This is uh, going to be logistically just easy for us, right? Yeah, and, you know, having the ability to be, you know, we did start using the Buell more. The, uh, the Ellie wasn't yet a thing. It was still the Auditorium Theater. Right. Then they did that ma- massive renovation, and it's such a beautiful spot. So we actually moved the dates of the festival. We used to be a November or an October festival. Okay. Um, when I started, uh, and then when the Ellie opened so that we could be in there for our red carpet presentations, we moved to a November event. So the weather's different, it or it felt different until global warming really kicked in. And <laughs> now, first two weeks of November are just as beautiful as the you know first two weeks of October where we used to be. Right, but you also never know what you're going to get because I got married on October 10th, uh-huh. and we were expecting really nice weather, and up to the up to the day before our wedding. It was lovely. It was like 60 degrees. Day we got married, 20 degrees. And snow and ice, they, the Rockies were actually in the playoffs that year. And they canceled the game uh, the night of our wedding. It was that cold and that terrible. This is why everyone who doesn't live in this city thinks it's got terrible weather. <laughs> right. Because for some reason, we get these epic storms on events like you know Monday night football games right. and uh, Rockies in the playoffs. It is um, terrible. You here. know, and Don't it, move it here. is so rare that the Rockies are in the playoffs that you know people must pay right. attention. Like, oh, look, it's snowing. They're canceling the game in Denver. Uh huh. Um, but then the other things that have changed are, you know, technology has changed greatly. So the days of, uh, you know, waiting for two gigantic canisters to arrive. Oh sure. <laughs> you know, sweating it out. Like, are they going to be here? Are we going to be able to feed them into the project? You know, you know, build up the print. Uh, get yeah. it fed into the projector in time for opening night. It, Ron Henderson always told me that his biggest nightmare was opening night. It's, got, it's kind of like the the dream you have where you didn't you oh where go, you haven't you, memorized your lines or you yeah or you go to a class and you haven't studied and there's a test and yeah and you go what subject is this even you, well, yeah <laughs> wait did I was I in philosophy this year yeah I don't uh, remember this class <laughs> oh it's because I haven't been yeah but yeah so dependent on you know physical media and right. we now deal so little with physical media. Well, it's amazing for me because uh, as a member, like as a, having a press accreditation, mm-hmm. I'll get access to screeners and they all come digitally or like I'll just enter a code like on Vimeo. Right. And so I just watch it uh, like on my home TV. It's amazing. And I go, how? And as someone who is not like a part of the entertainment press, uh, well, I think it was two years ago I was watching like uh, – what is it? Oh, God. It's like folk guy, funny guy. Oh, man. I can't remember what it was called. The director was Jeff Grace, but he made my own screener copy. So I was watching it with my name, like, burned in. Right. Um, and he's like, that way we know who's leaking it. If anyone leaks it, I go, wow, that's a different kind of problem than you have with physical media. No, it's true. Um, you know, and they're trying to c- combat piracy. Folk hero, funny guy. That was the folk, name of the Oh, movie. yeah. Folk hero, funny guy. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, that and that movie was really good. Yeah, it's that was a great movie. And uh, I remember the first time that I got a digital. Well, actually, it wasn't even a digital screener. 
So we used to get VHS tapes in. That's how nice. long I've been doing this. Um, so we have a lot more space in our office now because we don't have all of that, you know, mail <laughs> piling up and then having to stick VHSs everywhere. But I remember the first studio screener that came on VHS that they sent me to consider for the festival and I popped it in and it had Britta Erickson burned into it. And I was like, so, and I always will remember the film was called House on a Hill, mm-hmm. and the whole time I'm like, I can't pay attention. I'm just looking at my name. My name is like across Kevin Klein's face. <laughs> Thankfully, mine were in these like black bars. They've gotten better at it. They've right. put them in different places. <laughs> um, but it's made uh, programming process easier in sure. the digital age. I mean, I still like if the studios will send me a DCP and I can screen it here at the C Film Center, the way my audience is going to watch it on the big screen. Mm -hmm. But if you're one of my other programmers who is watching thousands of submissions, it makes it their job a lot easier. They can just sit on their couch or at their desk in the office and just queue them up and watch them. And you're not having to bother your tech team or your projection team to put something on screen. Um, and good programmers obviously know how it translates to the, the of big course, screen. You, sure. you know, I don't want people to think that just because somebody watched it on a laptop that they don't know how it's going to play when there's a packed house here at the right. City Film Center. No, of course. I mean, although filmmakers like beg you to like, oh, please don't watch it on your computer. Okay. And we're like, we know we know what we're watching. No, we get it, man. Not our first rodeo here. Right. <laughs> you mentioned thousands of submissions. Mm-hmm. How many do you get in a year? Um, so we get a something like. 1,500 submissions. Yikes. Those are unsolicited submissions, right? Those are people who are uh, sending us their short or their doc or their feature. A a good majority of that is shorts, I would point out. Well, sure. So many shorts. But um, that's just one component because our programming team is tracking films from alumni filmmakers. We're going to other festivals, watching films there. We're in... Um, inviting people to submit, and so that you know makes up the other part of the thousands that we watch in any given year to put together um, every year's program. Wow! And how many ultimately make it in this year? I believe the count on—I should have had that off the top of my head—roughly uh, around 178, okay. 200 films. And how many of those have you seen already? I've probably seen a third of the films okay. in the festival. There's too many. The- there's too many for any of us to see every single one. Oh, and yeah. we also divvy up um, how we program the festival. So I program specifically special presentations and red carpets, and I deal with studios and I deal with talent and awards and tributes. And then I'm a doc lover. There's where my long story, yeah. oh, kind sure, of my yeah. journalism background comes in. I love documentaries. And when I'm doing this festival, I end up talking to a lot of doc filmmakers because I'm John of all trades. Like this right. is not a film centered sort of one. Probably. And I, you know, I don't want to impugn any of my other guests, but one of my favorites was actors of sound. Mm, the yeah. one about the Foley artists. Man, that was like so behind the scenes. I was right in my wheelhouse, and Neil picked that for me. That's a perfect pick. And so I go, yes, this is perfect. And I talked to uh, one of the actors and the director of that movie, and that was one of my favorite ones. That's, that's a great doc. Yeah, and it's like so – people people who don't know what Foley is, it's so enlightening as to what that is. And like it also – I love – um, I call them below the line documentaries, yeah. documentaries about filmmaking that highlight some aspect that your average audience is not thinking about. One of my favorite f- docs over um, from the past, maybe like 
I think maybe it was five or six years ago, was casting by, oh, um, cool. which was made by a filmmaker named Tom Donahue. Who will be back this year with his new film, um, kind of a Me Too movement film this year. But he uh, he spoke with casting agents and mm. their process, and we had a great panel with casting agents talking about that. People don't think about it. They think a director goes like, "I want, you know, yeah. I want Schwarzenegger." Right. I want Emma Stone. Like, and then they just sign on, and that's sure. it. Um, <laughs> no, but casting is like directors don't choose a good portion. I mean, they ultimately have the final say, right? Of course, but the casting agents are the ones that are calling through all these headshots and all these auditions, and um, you know that part of La La Land is true. That's how casting works when she goes oh, in for that casting call. Well, and I mean, the weird Next. thing about casting, <laughs> the weird thing about casting is you, you almost need to have someone who is inside your head as a director, like who can sort of be with you in terms of the vision that you're trying to get. And that's not an easy thing to do. I mean, getting buy-in on that and getting on the same page, because if you're on opposite pages, the film isn't going to come out right. Exactly. So, so, I mean, you're right. That's a totally underrated process of filmmaking. I'd love to see that. And I'm going to have to now. Yeah, it's great. In all parts of filmmaking are critical. Films don't get made by, I mean, great. We've got auteurs who have vision, and that's fantastic, and I love to celebrate directors. If you see Roma, Alfonso couldn't have done that film without the greatest Foley artists in the world. It's like right. it has no score. It's a black-and-white film. It's his memory of growing up in this house with his wow. nanny. It's very meditative. Just every little yeah, yeah. You know, footstepping is like so vibrant in that film. So Foley was like so important. Totally. Uh, so I'm wearing my shirt for the film that we made for the 48 this year called If It Bleeds. Oh. Which it's cool to be back here in the sea because we were part of Best of for that. Oh, great. And so, yeah. Congratulations. We, thank you. We won Best Editing and Best Ensemble Cast, which was really cool. Um, I wrote it. And so that was really, really fun. What's funny is when you're watching a project like the 48, uh-huh. right, sound design is so underrated because so many of these filmmakers are just using like the camera microphone. And when you do it in the summer, you're picking up all these all this noise from like cicadas and stuff. And you go, oh, OK, so this is what good sound design will actually do. It'll set your film apart. And so I translate that to when I'm watching other films now because that I mean, we've talked a lot about Foley, but like, you know, do you have diegetic music or non-diegetic music? Mm-hmm. And what sort of impact is that having? These decisions are all made. I mean, the director does have final say, but these are people cre- uh, contributing their own creative vision to it. And so seeing that manifest is just really, really interesting. And once you get behind the scenes, it gives you almost a deeper appreciation for it. Oh, definitely. So what was your... um prop that you guys had to have in this year's 48-hour film festival? An overstuffed wallet. (laughs) So the prop was an overstuffed wallet. The character was uh, Ruby or Ruben Starr, and they're a poet. And the line of dialogue was, stop copying me. (laughs) (laughs) So uh, we made a film about uh, crisis actors. Oh, okay. If there was an actual school for crisis actors, what would it look like? Did you cast Arthur Martinez? No. <laughs> no, we should have, but uh, we're not connected to him directly. <laughs> or Kenneth Burba, who's also an actor, Martinez. Who, right. Yes. The crisis actors. <laughs> so, yeah, no, we, um, you know, we, we thought, what if we took this unhinged rhetoric from the political extremes and their, you know, false flag operations and things like that? What if there were actually were a school for this? And so we satirize kind of the entire thing and, 
it ended up being really funny, I thought. Oh, I want to check it out. Yeah, it was wild. Okay, so I was listening to change gears slightly. I was listening to a podcast where Matt Damon was talking, and this was before he was talking to Harvey Weinstein before sort of the whole allegations against him and he does not seem like a good guy based on everything that I've read. I don't know him personally and will likely never meet him, but I throw that out there just for clarification. Matt Damon was giving him a little bit of crap for not making Behind the Candelabra, you know, with Michael Douglas, and they ended up selling that to HBO. Right. And what Weinstein said was, well, okay, so if we make that one for, you know, $30 million, then with marketing, then it's $60 million. For me to turn a profit on it, it has to do over $100 million. And he's like, and I see that it probably would have, but that's too big a gamble for me. So my question for you is, with the evolution of the film business, and you'll read about this all the time, where mainstream films are being targeted towards international markets, you know, China, India, things, you know, not these sort of nuanced character studies, but where things explode and, you know, superheroes and very sort of linear stories with here are the good guys, here are the bad guys. How does that impact the way that you program Denver Film Festival and has that affected the number of films available to you for something like this? You know, the the industry definitely is formulaic and let's face it, Hollywood is an industry. It's about making sure. money. It's, um, yeah, it's, it's not about – I mean they like, uh, you know – every couple of months of the year to celebrate artistry and be all heady about, you know, their awards and sure. the Academy and things like that. There's a prestige in the, in the, component. In the prestige films, right? So, but their day-to-day is how do we make a film for the least amount of money to get the highest return on it? And also where can we go pre-sell the film uh, so that we can make it possible to to meet the budget to hire right. Michael Douglas, and that and that gets some cost certainty for them. Yes, I mean you're right; it's no different than any other business. So, what's how that impacts us? You know, th- I think the impacts for festivals, um, festivals like Denver that celebrate independent voices, primarily films made out of the system. Mm-hmm. I mean. I say that, and we've got six red carpets at the LE, which are primarily studio films. But, you know, some of them, Vox Lux, went to Toronto without a distributor. And, you know, Neon, who's this, you know, scrappy, new, edgy company, acquired it um, after they had acquired iTanya last year and done pretty well with it. Oh, cool. All right. So there's still some companies out there that are pushing the envelope. They're willing to take risks. They do want to put interesting stuff out in the market. And don't get me wrong. You know, I have a 14 year old. I see plenty of Avengers movies and sure. things like that. And those are entertaining. Yeah. And but, those are, I mean, those are fun. Like this is not to necessarily cast aspersions on that right. type of film, but everyone can see those films at any multiplex. Um, there's plenty of that entertainment out there. I think festivals are to fill another niche, and that is things like foreign films, documentaries, although documentaries are having a great year this year theatrically. I mean, RBG, um, Three Identical Strangers. I mean, there have been some big box office numbers coming out of uh, the documentary world, which is really encouraging to see. That means more of them will get put on big screens. I think that what... Festivals also do that you don't get in a normal scenario in, you know, whatever town you live in is a lot of foreign film. Right. And um, I think that's uh, festivals are the greatest platform for that. 
But I remember about three years ago, I think it was kind of the rise of Netflix. Mm-hmm. And we were at Sundance. And so many pr- festival programmers go to Sundance. It's kind of, it kicks off the year. It kind of sets the tone for what's coming down the pike. So whether you're the director of the Dallas Film Festival or the Cleveland Film right. Festival. Are you tight with some of these other directors? Yeah, well, I always say we're like... um we're like the NFL. Okay. <laughs> so we're, you know, like we all coach in our teams and we get together for these conferences and we like friendly with one another and, and then, but then we get a little bit competitive when it oh, comes cool. to be all game right. time. Yeah. <laughs> so not a Bronco fan, but you understand sort of the gamesmanship of NFL ownership. Oh yeah, because I'm a huge Cowboys fan. So oh my. I, I love okay. football. Don't get me, <laughs> don't get me wrong about, I love football. Oh, that's funny. Um, but we were sitting in industry screenings at Sundance, and every film was popping up with a Netflix opening card. Oh, and wow. people were like, this is terrible. Why are we here to watch Netflix films? They're going to be on their platform tomorrow after Sundance uh, you know, ends. We're not going to be able to program this in March in Cleveland Film Festival. So we're all kind of bemoaning the impact that Netflix was going to have on film festivals um, you know, we'd already been bemoaning the fact that people were not getting out of their house just because cable was so pervasive. Oh, sure. Um, you know, it's hard to get people to come out and watch film the way they really should and interact with other humans and have a dialogue. But that's what <laughs> festivals are all about. So we're dependent on those diehards that love to do that. But the sky didn't actually fall. Netflix is really coming around uh, to being both something that makes a lot of money. Mm-hmm. Pushes out a lot of, you know, sorry, Netflix, crappy Adam Sandler movies that my son loves. <laughs> but they're also they're also getting into the prestige game and that they know that things like Roma, directed by Alfonso Cuaron in black and white with no score, who Alfonso wants it seen in big theaters that have Atmos sound, like the highest, greatest sound, you, theatrical sound you can get. And they're putting the money behind it, and they're doing that. So they're they're giving they're giving consumers both options, and so they're not those films that they think deserve festival play and theatrical. They're putting their money there. They are doing that. Um, so the sky is not falling. Every yeah. film that Netflix puts in Sundance um, every January is something that's still fair game for festivals until they put it up on their platform. Okay, so they're holding off on putting it up on their platform, but until it runs through some of this festival circuit. Yeah. Interesting. But uh, they're going to do day and date for Roma in terms of they are putting it into theaters across the nation oh, that wow, have right. Atmos sound. That's You have to have that to screen it, but it'll go on, up on their platform. But okay. they've definitely done a festival run with Roma, and they're, they've done some festivals even with uh, Buster Scruggs. So, oh, cool. Wow. Yeah. There was one thing that uh, that I was reading, like as I was prepping to talk to you, you and I share a distinction in that we were both named one of the Denver Business Journal's thought leaders. And so last year you were interviewed by Ed Sealover, mm-hmm. who I adore. Yes, he's great. Um, I, and he's a dynamite reporter covering the weirdest beats. He has so many of them. Um, he's covering like entertainment and uh, hospitality and like the government and craft beer and healthcare. I, I'm like, how do you sleep, man? Like He's a busy guy, yeah. but he's well-versed in a lot of subjects. He certainly is. So anytime you run into him, you can talk to him about almost anything, which is really fun. But he mentioned in that piece that, you know, you're expanding your offerings to things like virtual reality. Is that how you continue to keep this thing vital uh, by pushing it into new mediums and into new ways of engaging with the films? Definitely. The, 
our virtual reality offerings that we started three years ago when we also took over a new space in the city of Denver, when we took over for the 12 days of the festival, the McNichols building in Civic Center Park um, to be our annex, basically our mm. festival hub um, and to house things like a box office and some some lounges. And we had just sponsored virtual reality that year and it was free. It is it is the next generation of storytelling. In fact, it's like it's not even on the horizon. It, it's here. It's here, it's yeah. here and now, and um, it's just another great way for audiences to be able to immerse in in great storytelling and um, great visual experiences. And so, I'm really excited. We hired a curator in the second year, which was last year. Um, so we had a curated program, and we still had some sponsored. Um, Experiences, And then this year we've gone to um, highly curated program, some of the best stuff that came out of Sundance. Uh, Tribeca has really been on the forefront of virtual reality. So now we have some experiences that are paid experiences. They're timed tickets. Wow. Um, hopefully they'll be as popular as the, they're, they're proving already to be very popular. Audiences are kind of gravitating towards them. So people are getting there fast. I think the first year when I was talking to certain of our members and diehard film festival goers, like, oh, have you been over the annex? Try virtual reality. And they're like, what's virtual reality? Right. I'm also super interested in immersive experiences. And so we're starting to dip our toe into that as well. So that's, you know, we're doing Hamlet Mobile. You can sign up to do, to go see a play. Uh-huh. Um, and the play's out of the back of a cargo van. You'll be texted to know where to meet the cargo van. And you are either an audience of one or two, and you're watching a Hamlet excerpt or adaptation, they're, sh- they're short little adaptations yeah. of aspects of Hamlet being performed out of the back of a cargo van. And you eventually, as the audience member, do become part of the play. Wow. So immersive experiences um, are something that I want to continue to bring into the festival. It's just, it's because I think that's interesting storytelling and yeah. festival... The Denver Film Festival, when people ask, like, well, how do you choose films or how do you choose what to do? And I'm like, oh, we just we're just looking for the best stories out mm-hmm. there. And this is just the next wave of storytelling. And um, not everyone yet has, you know, uh, I can't even remember the name of this headset they were telling me about, which is like the forefront headset. They're oh, not, like the you, Oculus Rift? Yeah, like the Rift or like the there's like one that's a hologram. It's like a Google Hollow or something okay. like that. Like. You're interacting with a hologram um, in this specific headset. People yet don't have that. Those those aren't yet consumer bought things. So no, not quite. You can only experience that by coming to the Denver Film Festival. Well, I got to tell you, listening to you describe, you know, Hamlet out of the back of a cargo van. A, it sounds like you're doing a Stefan bit from Saturday Night Live, <laughs> right? <laughs> Secondly, it's uh, I I just I think about the beautiful weirdos that are out there just creating art for. The, the sake of just doing it, right? Yeah. It's like, what can we do? What What's different? And, and how can we take this medium in a new direction? Because that's something I never in probably a 100 years would have ever come up with. But the fact that it exists now that you just described it to me makes me so enthused about the future because people are out there for, with, with no other motivation other than, hey, let's give this a shot. Yeah, it's fantastic. And, you know, people, ne- there's a real big community of, devotees of immersive experiences uh there's a 
you can follow an Insta feed called No Proscenium, and it's like diehards who will fly anywhere to go to immersive experiences. Wow. Um, and like they're on the forefront and they like purchase the tickets because a lot of times immersive experiences like that are maybe site specific, you know, it's, it's taxing. Like actors have to do it over and over for yeah. a certain amount of time. And so there's time things and, and usually they're taking over some space that they don't permanently own, right? So they're not going to run it for a long time. Sure. So the people that um, follow No Persinium are the ones that are like snapping up the tickets, <sighs> wow. flying to New York to do whatever experience is happening there. You know, the immersive experiences came a little bit out of, I think, like horror kind of fans. Like the, that was kind of the, the first immersive experiences I was hearing about were very much in, in that vein. They were They were meant to to give you a good a nice good, jolt a nice jolt yeah but i saw a great piece this summer up in boulder that the catamounts um mounted where it was uh based on uh greek mythology and it was they took you on a bus to this beautiful park and you're like walking next to a river and then there's like clues and then all of a sudden an actor pops out it's like narcissus and he's you know <laughs> talking to me and really some innovative stuff wow. and then think Thinking along those lines as well, you know, we've seen the huge rise of Meow Wolf, and we've got yeah. the doc uh, called Origin Story. I'm excited for that Origin one. Stories in the Denver Festival. You know, Meow Wolf was such a renegade group of brilliant minds, creative right. minds, but they were getting kicked out of every space that they went into. Um, you know, they bounced around Santa Fe for mm-hmm. a long time in every warehouse that they could get. Um, and then, you know, when George R. Martin really was like, these are... They're onto something. They're onto something. I'm going to buy you this bowling alley. Yeah, totally. And you're going to build this gigantic, crazy house of eternal returns in there. And then you're going to be turning people away at the door and become the number one tourist attraction in Santa Fe, a great cultural town. Mm-hmm. And then you're going to go on to identify Denver as the next place you're going to go and build a five-story building. Oh, and you're going to do Las Vegas at the same time. Oh, and you're going to stay a for-profit because you're not really, you're you're not what uh, Vince from Yowl says is that he's not, you know, he, he's coming to Denver really well and trying to engage the arts community. You're going to have local artists be the artists that put together the installations for um, the Meow Wolf Denver but he also wants to partner with all the culturals because those are his th- – those are their partners. They're not competitors. He's not competing against the MCA. He doesn't right. want to compete against the Denver Film Festival for entertainment dollars. Ultimately, I think he wants to compete against Disney. Right. Yeah, and I mean it's and, – and sometimes in my estimation, people look at this the wrong way. I, I'm friends with a number of other communications consultants. Like mm-hmm. that's my day job. Okay. And I don't look at them as competition. Like there's a lot – of work out there. There's a lot of dollars out there. And so we don't need to be slitting each other's throats. If we can work together and like, I mean, a rising tide lifts many boats. Let's build up art all across the city. You know, let's build each other up. So that way we can kick each other business. That's a much better and more sustainable model and is sort of a model for the world that I'd like to see more of. So hearing that is just, again, that's really energizing. Yeah, I think it's fantastic. And interestingly enough, I, when Hickenlooper was mayor. He talked a lot about the rise of the creative class, and you know he's a big Richard Florida champion. And then, um, did he even make it? The one book, one Denver, one of the years he was mayor. But you know, Richard Florida is right. And when you have a robust creative class, all things are all things are better better for a community. Oh yeah. Um, I think that's one of the great legacies that uh, Hickenlooper 
has given to this to this city. Yeah. No, I agree. All right. Well, I know we got to wrap up here momentarily. For anyone who's listening who has not been to a Denver Film Fest and who is interested in potentially attending, what's on tap this year and why should they come? Well, it's the greatest cinematic feast um, <laughs> that you'll get all year round if you're Denverites right here in your backyard. You don't have to fly to Snowy Park City. Right. Um, and we're super accessible. And it, I always say uh, about festivals is or specifically the Denver Film Festival. It is for it's for the community. It's for um, everyone, right? Yeah, it's for everyone. And there's something for everyone right, in right, this right. robust program. So You even have stuff for kids, right? Yeah, we do. We do have stuff for kids. That's amazing. Both Saturdays. And, you know, you're, you're welcome. This is a welcoming place. The come see some movies. It's, uh, I think people sometimes get intimidated because they watch a lot of like E, right? And so they see Can sure. and they're like, oh, not for me. What would I wear? <laughs> right. Um, Come in your jeans. Just show up. Yeah, show up, buy a ticket, um, and take a risk on something. I mean, if yeah. pick something you know you really want to see. Maybe it's a director, or maybe it's an actor in a movie that you really like, or you really like South Korean cinema. Definitely, we've got that for you. But I also encourage people sometimes is there if they want to get more engrossed or um, engaged with the event and um, stretch themselves a little bit and take a risk just to open the guide, put your finger down, whatever it is. Right. Well, it's Come fun- check it out. Oh, yeah, you bet. Um, I remember the first year I did this, I, we talked about this right before we went on mic, but I interviewed Nathan Silver and Mike Ott. And so Neil sent me the screener for Stinking Heaven, and I'm like, what is this movie? And it, <laughs> it made me pretty uncomfortable, especially like the ending, because yes. the ending is really, really jarring. And I go, okay... I don't know exactly what to make of this, and I now have to interview this filmmaker, but it pushed me out of my comfort zone, and I felt like it made me better for it. So, like, you know, there are things that Neil, as he sort of pitches me ideas for guests, he knows are going to be in my wheelhouse. Like, we talked about Actors of Sound. That's clearly right in my wheelhouse. But something like Sticking Heaven, I'm like, yeah, all right, I'll give this a shot. And I'm really happy I did. So I, I agree with you 100% on that. Try something new. Yeah. And you know what? We don't really encourage people to, you know, walk out of screenings, but you know, that, is, that is something that happens at film festivals. You always have that option. Yes. We, we don't, we don't lock the door once you go in. <laughs> right. If Nathan Silver's film is making you very uncomfortable, which many of his do make me uncomfortable and I've produced one of his films, <laughs> um, you're, you're allowed to get up and leave. Right. Um, you know, but if you're, if you're, if that's too much out of your comfort zone to take a risk on something that you have no idea what it's going to be, you just need to dive into the guide or that's onto right. the website. We have really robust, um, descriptions and, uh, you know, programmers write those descriptions. They've watched the films. So we're not, you know, we're, you're not trying to sell anyone a bill of goods here. No. You're not trying to mislead anyone. No. Well, that's a perfect segue. Give us the plug for Denver Film Fest. Where can people find out more about it? Uh, buy tickets. Uh, anything you want to plug, do it now. Um, yeah, you can buy tickets at denverfilm.org. That's the easiest way. Just buy them right. That, that you, I encourage you to do sitting on your couch. Perfect. Buy your tickets and then get off your couch to use your tickets. <laughs> there you you can come pick them up at any of our venues because we can put them in will call after you buy them online. Or you can come down to the C Film Center, which is our year-round home and um, box offices open and operating between now and the end of the festival. We have $5 tickets every day that are offered up at the Annex during the 12 days of the festival. Nice. If you go over to the Annex uh, in Civic Center Park, um, we'll have a list of films that that day only you can get for 5 bucks. It's a great way to 
you know, not have to invest a lot to try us out. And while you're there, you can go do some VR because it's there in the same go. space. So, And you might run into me there. I yeah. might, I might be you, talking you, to filmmakers. You might be spending a lot of time <laughs> there. Um, and then, yeah, I, I think that... You know, we've got six packs and 15 packs, which give you reduced price tickets. If you, you know, think you're going to have enough time to do six, I encourage you to buy the tickets that way. Those ticket packages don't include special presentations, ah. um, which is a section of 12 films. And they also don't include the red carpet films at the LE. Um, but those are all available for individual sale. I will give a tip because people sometimes are like, why can't I use my vouchers on special presentations? Special presentations are pretty limited because they typically have just like one one screening. Mm-hmm. They're also films. I'll, I'll tip your audience off to this mm. that are going to open very soon. Ah, you will have uh, those films. Those films will definitely be coming back to the C Film Center gotcha. um, or another movie theater in town. And uh, you'll be able to see those shortly after the festival. They're, they're films that are going to be up for awards consideration. Gotcha. Same with the red carpets. Although the red carpet experience, I do think people should do one of those. I think it's great to come down to the Ellie and see all the hoopla going on yeah, and the red cool. carpet and the step and repeat and, um, you know, a fancy night out and, and I say fancy night out, but you don't even need, you don't need to wear a ball gown. Hmm. Um, this is Denver, after it all. It is Denver. We see everything uh, yeah. from you know from the ball gown to the jeans and the bolo tie. But that's a really fun night, and it's such a beautiful theater. It's and it's such a gorgeous place to watch a movie. Absolutely. So special events come with the cool kids. Get the jump on everyone else, or you can see it later with all the plebes. Exactly. I mean, I don't think if you go see um, something at your, you know, local multiplex, even if you go with a buddy, you're not going to have the opportunity to walk, spill out into a lobby with a bunch of other people who want to stick around and not racing for the parking garage and have a dialogue, have a drink. Um, I always say about film festivals, there's film. And then there's also festivals. So there's a <laughs> lot of parties that happen over the course of the 12 days. Um, and yeah. Awesome. It's easy to find a drink around the Denver Film Festival. I'll bet, that, I'll bet it is. Uh, I think I was drinking when I interviewed Nathan Silver. Oh, I, I can only imagine you. Yeah. I mean, that's the way. I mean, he was straight from the airport. And he goes, can I get something to drink here? And I go, hey, me too. Why not? Well, and we're known for our filmmaker hospitality. So. Indeed. All right. Well, Britta, this was an enormous pleasure. I'm looking forward to this year's Denver Film Fest. You can find all the info about it on johnofalltrades.us. That's J-O-N of alltrades.us. Thank you, Britta. Have a great festival and continued success to you. Thanks, John. I really appreciate it. That'll do it for episode 195 of the John of All Trades podcast with Britta Erickson, director of the Denver Film Festival. This is the first of many from DFF 41. So stay tuned to John of All Trades, johnofalltrades.us. And on social media, J-O-A-T-Pod. That's Facebook, Twitter, Snapchat, Pinterest, and Instagram. All across platforms, very easy for you, J-O-A-T-Pod. The John of All Trades Podcast is a production of Deft Communications. Check out Deft on the web, D-E-F-T-C-O-M dot U-S. We do training, content, engagement, and podcasting. That's right, I'm producing podcasts behind the scenes. Got a number of them in development. The list continues to grow, and it's very exciting. It's what I love. It's what I do. Our sponsor is 4Degrees, the number 4, D-E-G-R-E dot E-S. If you're doing anything online, whether building a website, doing some sort of campaign, or social media marketing, 4Degrees can get the right message in front of the right people that will move the needle on your bottom line, or no matter what issue you're working on, whether it's a nonprofit, political campaign, or some sort of good or service, 4Degrees is the best firm to reach out to. 
get your message optimized in front of the right people. The number four, D-E-G-R-E dot E-S. I'm out of here for this week. We've got lots of content coming from DFF41. Check out that tab on johnofalltrades.us to find all the episodes that I do under that. Very simple. You're going to love it. So until I hear you back here again, say goodnight, crazy. That's good, Johnny. The John of All Trades podcast is a part of the Denver Podcast Network. In the shadow of the mountains, we speak.